Did you know that the fashion industry is the second largest polluter in the world? And while many brands are making efforts to be more sustainable, the fact still remains that the industry uses 93 billion cubic meters of water yearly, and that about 20% of the world's water waste can be traced to fabric treatment. Not to mention that around 90% of fibers used for clothing are incarcerated or pulled into landfills. My guest today stopped by to chat about how we as brand owners, consumers, and human beings can make small adjustments to our everyday lives to help flatten the curve when it comes to the environmental impact of the fashion industry. After nearly 10 years of writing about fashion and beauty for publications like The Marketplace, The Daily Mail, Poster Magazine, and Remake, she made the switch to write for Paul Newman's Common Good to profile nonprofits promoting environmental causes that were close to the heart. But when the publication closed their doors just two months later, she combined her experience in digital media with her dedication towards living a more environmentally friendly life to launch The Wellness Feed, a digital media site dedicated towards helping others live a more sustainable lifestyle. Since its launch, the wellness feed has cultivated a growing community of 30,000 plus monthly readers who tune in to hundreds of interviews with brands and experts in the eco-friendly space. From well-known industry players to startups, the wellness feed asks brands the hard questions about how they're putting the planet and people first. My guest today is Lindsay Christine as she sat down to chat with me about everything she's learned after interviewing 100 plus brands and experts in the sustainable space. Hey guys, Andrew here, and before I jump into this episode, I just wanted to take a quick second to thank my sponsors over at Bean Bundle, Canada's newest coffee subscription. Before I geared up for this interview, I used my French press using beans they sent me from one of the dopest roasters from across the country. Bean Bundle makes it so incredibly easy for people like me who drink tons of coffee every single day but love to try beans from different roasters. This process is pretty simple. You just visit beanbundle.com, choose how much coffee you want on a monthly basis, medium or dark roast, and they ship you different beans from the latest roasters on a monthly basis. Best part is that if you live in Canada, they ship to you absolutely free, and if you sign up using the code BUNDLE10, you'll save 10% on your subscription. Now go pour yourself a coffee and enjoy this week's episode. Hey, Lindsay, we're live. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Andrew, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's a beautiful sunny day in, in Toronto. I'm looking out the window as we, as we speak, and uh, it's nice to have some vitamin D uh, after a few days of horrible weather. You're lucky. We, um, we're cloudy today. <laughs> You're in New York, right? I'm actually in Philadelphia. Okay. Yeah, so kind of outside New York, um, although Philadelphians would never really want you to say that they are just outside New York. You're a separate city. Or good things happen. Totally. Never been to Philly. Really want to go there. Oh, it's a cool city. It's a food hub. I think if you want to check out and have a cool cultural scene here with art, with music, um, but really easy to get around. So that's nice. And a lot of history. Yeah. I'd uh, I'd be coming for the cheesesteak. Okay. That's probably what I <laughs> <laughs> And maybe to run up the rock steps. I think I take that for granted that, yes, we have cheesesteaks. I love to do runs up the Rocky Steps around that area regularly. So, yeah, come by. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, like, let's get into it. I mean, you're a a fashion journalist. You uh, focus on on purpose-driven content surrounding, you know, sustainability and, uh, you know, eco-consciousness, which is very much at the heart uh, center for me because I have a brand that uh, really values those key points um, as part of our brand ethos. And I'm excited to talk to you about all this because I think, uh, you know, we're talking just before we recorded, and I think that there has been a really significant shift in brand behavior, consumer behavior Mm. since, you know, COVID 
Uh, I think it's been a trend leading up to COVID. I think COVID maybe has accelerated and we can, we can talk about that. I, I want to get into that at some point, but before we do that, like how, uh, you know, the wellness feed launched in, in August, uh, 2019. So it's quite young and uh, to launch something new in, in at this point of our, you know, existence has been tough for many people, but I'd love to hear your story and understand like how you got to the point of uh, creating this blog and uh, specifically why it's surrounding uh, sustainability. I love this question and I'm not excited to share. So I have a background in writing for a lot of fashion publications. It was predominantly geared towards celebrity news and kind of just sharing how people can dress like their favorite celebrity on a budget. And with that, you know, it was great experience. It's obviously a lot of fun, really cool to say, but it didn't align with my lifestyle. And my lifestyle, you know, I had my daughter in 2011 and we were living over, her father's Australian, we we're living overseas. And being in Australia, I was so, became very much aware of how my decisions are affecting the planet. I noticed that a little bit here and there before, but it wasn't until I was there that I realized that people specifically just walk a lot more instead of driving their car just to kind of save carbon emissions. They are a lot more aware, don't use the dryer where you can just hang your clothes dry because you want to reduce your energy. Um, and again, carbon emissions. And so being over there and living there for several years, I changed my lifestyle and learned so many tips and became more aware. And having my daughter, I also learned about the other side of sustainability, which is about you know the chemicals that are in the clothing and you know, in our clothing and our food and our products. And so you know, just having that background and living my life in a way that was a little bit more sustainable, a little bit more clean, but not recommending those products and not writing about that made me feel at odds where my career was leading, where I was headed. So I actually ended up quitting that job and going to work for Paul Newman's Common Good, which was a publication just profiling nonprofits. And I wrote about nonprofits that just covered, you know, um, sustainable initiatives in their community. Unfortunately, after two months, they closed. <laughs> so, you know, it happens. And I was out of a job and I was like, you know, friends are coming to me for advice. Uh, family's coming to me for advice. Why don't I just start a place where I can share these tips? I can learn more myself and share what I learned with other people. And as a lot of things do, especially when you're passionate about it, you put in a lot of time and effort and energy, it just grows. So that's the beginning of the wellness feed and why I really wanted to start a publication that focuses on being sustainable and helping people make conscious choices, I like to say. Yeah, I, I love that. Like I said earlier, like this really, this really resonates with me. It's something that I kind of, I'm, I'm super conscious of now too. It's like everything that is going on, every, you know, I think we can all make adjustments and, you know, I'm starting to make more adjustments on the daily to kind of contribute to all those things that you said. And it's really interesting that, you know, we go through life almost like passively, not really asking the too many questions about, you know, what's, what are we consuming and, and what are we wearing and, you know, what impact does this have? Uh, like what impact does my behavior have? And they're just very, very, you know, second nature behaviors that we've been brought up with. But 
I love that you're, you know, you're coupling that passion that you had with an outlet for people, because I, I think there's a lot of education that needs to happen here. I think a lot of people, uh, like I said, are very passive about these types of topics. So I think it's fantastic that you've launched it. And, you know, uh, leading up to us kind of getting on this uh, podcast, you know, the, the, I guess the, the one thing you pitched me that really got my attention was, uh, hey, I launched this in August, but then COVID hit and I've had time to interview like 100 brands. And, you know, I think that's pretty remarkable that, you know, COVID gave you that opportunity. So tell us, tell us about some of the, like the, the findings you've, you've found in some of these interviews. Like, are there any common threads? Are there any uh, concepts or ideas that really stick out to you that, you know, maybe, maybe you can share? Yeah. So it's interesting, you know, COVID did bring a lot of terrible things, but it also gave, I think, I think it gave brands a little bit more time. Um, twiddling their thumbs at home. And so I would pitch these publications, you know, pitch brands, sorry, about my publication. And I just received a lot of yeses. And, you know, I've been so thankful to be able to interview brands that I admire, um, like 100% Pure, Me Solo, There's Been Whimsy Row. And one common thread that I see through a lot of these brands is that they put people first. It's people and the environment before profit. And that because of that, they make a lot of different decisions than a lot of corporations who are just about profit make. For instance, Misolo works with, they work with a team in Peru for their factories to ensure that the wages that they have there aren't just fair, but actually livable. So they conduct surveys with the people who are working in the factories and get to know them and see what are their expenses? Is the wage actually helping them? Because I think that is, and I think that's a great, um, <laughs> sad into that. sorry, I meant to say something, I jumped to something else. And I noticed, you know, and a lot of brands will just have a minimum wage or a wage that they'll set. And that's the standard because that's what they can afford um, to be able to sell their product at a certain price point and earn a higher profit. But with a lot of these brands that I'm seeing is that they fundraise for workers during COVID just to ensure that they can continue living, even if they can't supply them work in the factories. And I've seen that with several brands that I've interviewed who are sustainable. As far as the living wages go, they really do a lot of research to ensure that what they're paying isn't just so that they can sell a $5 t-shirt or a cheap pair of shoes, but sell a great product that is made well and empowering people to have a good or better lifestyle instead of just a job that they have to have a side hustle and they have to have another side hustle just to make ends meet. So that's one thing that I've noticed with these brands and why I love to support them and interview them is that it's really about putting people first. It's really about compassion. It's about caring about the environment and caring about the people who are making the clothes, which is something that we're not, we haven't been taught to be aware of. Like I don't know who made this shirt. This is actually a thrifted shirt um, that I'm wearing at the moment. I think it's like J. Crew, a sweater, I should say. But it would never occur to me before to think, okay, who made this shirt? Are they being paid a fair wage? Are they being treated fairly? What about the farmers that this wool is from? Were they paid a fair price? You know, and we don't think about that. We're not told to. But I think sustainable brands want us to be more conscious. And I love the education that is going on to help people realize that these are questions that we really should be asking. We should all 
care a little bit more about one another. And I think COVID has brought that to us um, because we're all in this together. That's been a popular phrase. And it's made us a little bit more, or I should say my experience, it's made me a little bit more of what's going on in the world and what other people are going through and want to help others. Maybe in the same way that I see some of these brands help people that are in their community. Yeah, t- totally. I, I I would have to totally agree with you on um, on the notion that you know community has become very very prominent, and that's not to say that brands didn't care about community before. Because mm. I'm a brand owner, and I'm thinking, you know, in, in my shoes, like I obviously cared about my community, but I also think that it, they, you know, your community became the forefront of of like the purpose people took during COVID, whether it was you know, helping their followers or, or their customers by providing, you know, free yoga classes or free meditation or, mm-hmm. um, you know, whatever the initiative was. And, and it's, it's interesting that that's what you found. And, you know, I'm a believer that, you know, you really don't have a business unless you have a strong community and a community of people that, um, that follow you and, and, and believe in what you're doing. And unless, you know, you need to put them first. And it's, it's interesting, I think, and I, I think COVID has accelerated that. I'd have to agree with you, I think. And people want that, you know, people really want yeah. to feel like they're part of a tribe or they're part of something special. You know, not, I don't want to like throw a brand, another brand under the bus, but like how many people have you ever heard say like, oh, I'm, I love being part of the H&M community. Like you, you don't, <laughs> or, or whatever. I'm just using H&M as example. Yeah. I'm not trying to like put them down, but I, you know, mm-hmm. In the context of big brands, you never really hear that where, you know, if if you go into, you know, there's a couple of, of brands in Toronto that, you know, have a really strong sense of community. People really identify with those, with the, with, you know, with the initiatives, with the traceability, with with being a local brand. And I think, uh, you know, I think it's really important to, to establish that. I would say, you know, if people are looking to start a brand or, or even build it, keep building their brand is look to your customers and, and, and start adding a ton of value to them and, and building that trust and, and that love with them because, you know, it's, they're like the most important part of the whole process without your community, you really don't have a business or a following or anything. That's true. Sorry to go on a rant there. I just like <laughs> felt like I, I needed to, you know, project those, those feelings. Um, I, cause I totally agree with you, but it's interesting, this word of sustainable, right? You know, I always tell people when I have like sales calls or, you know, when they're inquiring about the brand, uh, oh, so you're like a sustainable brand. And I always tell them, no, I'm not a sustainable brand. Like, yes, that sounds great for marketing, but I'm not a sustainable brand. I'm an eco-conscious brand. I try to make decisions that are um, consider considerate of the environment, of people in my supply chain, of, of, you know, of the planet, of the environment. But I feel like this term sustainability gets thrown around a lot uh, as, as like a, a buzzword, right? What are your thoughts on that? Like, how, how would you define oh. sustainability and, and how, uh, and what are your thoughts on how, how it might be used in the marketplace? I think sustainability is such an, it's an interesting term as far as how it's been marketed. Because really, if you look at the definition, it means being able to sustain. It has nothing to do with like cleaning up the environment, being green and conscious. It's just about being able to maintain and sustain for a long period of time. And, you know, that does tie into being green and eco-conscious, but I think a lot of times people confuse it 
with an understanding that being sustainable automatically means that a brand is green or conscious or circular. And they're all different things. They all kind of tie into each other. But I think with sustainable, it's really about using our resources in a way that we will be able to have them in 30 or 50 years from now that, you know, we haven't been able to do at the moment. Um, And I think that that takes a lot of education. I love the fact that you said you're like eco-conscious, that you make green or choices to that are better for the environment. And I think that is a lot more important and why marketing is nice, but really having brands be transparent about how they are sustainable or eco-conscious is way more important, way more effective in the long term of just educating consumers. You know, for instance, talking about one big brand that I actually do like and admire what they're doing as far as their marketing is Levi's. You know, they have their jeans, the statistics put it out. I think it's like 7,000 something liters of water to make one pair of jeans. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that's through the dyeing process. And, you know, that dyeing process has been shown to just call it wreck havoc on you know local water sources where the denim is being made. But what they're doing is they're working on waterless technology so that instead of polluting waterways and using all of the water to make the jeans, they are being a little bit more sustainable or eco-conscious to save to serve water and actually use technologies that allow them to have a denim color that may not be as potent. It may not be as intense as what it was, uh, was what it, uh, what it was before, but it's a lot more sustainable in the long run because we can't pollute all of our water sources without, you know, <laughs> it's not feasible. It's not sustainable. So they're kind of my thoughts on the word and how marketing plays into that and how, what I think brands can do to really help consumers be a little bit more aware of what the term means and what it goes into a brand making those greener or more sustainable choices. Yeah, I totally. And I don't know if you've seen this marketing campaign before, but there's a there's a brand that I follow called Noah, and uh, I think they're a skate mm-hmm. brand. And, and I'm not sure if they're out of New York or where they're out of exactly, but um, they did this whole camp- campaign about how we are not sustainable, and they came out and said like sustainability doesn't exist. There's no <laughs> not, not not that it doesn't exist, like it exists. Mm-hmm. Uh, sustainable brands don't exist. And it's physically impossible to be sustainable because of exactly, you know, what you just said. And they were very transparent about it because here's some, here's some really interesting facts in relation to the fashion industry. 93 billion cubic meters of water uh, used every year to produce garment. 20% of the world's water, water waste can be traced back to, to fabric treatment. And mm-hmm. that that's just on the water level. But uh, I, I think, I think, we're going to need more brands like Levi's because at the end of the day, there's a lot of small brands. Like there's a lot of small brands like, like Monty and co like my company that, you know, uses vegetable tan leather that, you know, doesn't use chemicals in the tanning process. So it's better for, for, you know, when it's, it's better post production in terms of impacting the water supply, but like I'm a small player in a very big game. Right. And what Mm -hmm. you need, you need the really big players to, to start making changes because really they're the ones that are contributing to this 93, you know, billion cubic meters of, of, of water. And I think brands like Levi's really need to step up. And, and those are the ones that not just Levi's, but a ton of them that they're going to be the ones that make an impact. So I'm glad, I'm glad that that's one of their initiatives and 
thank you for sharing that because I think I think people need to kind of really understand the impact of how big you know how big brands uh, impact the fashion industry and, and can actually make the most change. Really curious, you know, we, we talk about runoff and dyes. Another interesting concept in, in the, you know, a marketing term that I've had some interesting discussions with, you know, people off the record um, before is the term vegan leather. You know, vegan leather has been very much marketed to a, uh, a demo of people that are obviously animal friendly, which makes sense. But they've also been coupled with the the idea that it's it's very sustainable and and um, you know a, that that kind of lifestyle. When you know in, in reality there are vegan leathers that maybe line up with that. But for the most part in the mass market today, a lot of vegan leathers are made with like PVC and PU, and like that's really harmful to water as well. Do you have any thoughts to share on 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 vegan leather and and uh, in that kind of context? You're smiling. So yeah. <laughs> I was smiling because um, this might be a, a controversial opinion, but I personally don't own any like vegan leather products mm-hmm. um, because that plastic is very toxic. And this goes back towards what I was talking about, you know, when my daughter was born, just the research that we were doing to eliminate some of these toxic chemicals and products from our home and vegan leather kind of came up a lot because some of those chem- like finishes that they would put on their like carcinogenics, they can disrupt your hormones. And so even though I'm someone who, you know, I don't really eat a lot of meat, my family does a bit. Um, even though I'm someone who does try to minimize my impact that way and try to be a little bit, you know, minimize animal cruelty in my life in terms of what products I buy, I do buy real leather products. Now, one way I try to do it is that a lot of things that I, my daughter's like talking in the background. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You'll hear a little voice, maybe. Um, One way I try to do it is like, I buy a lot of vintage pieces, like a lot of used, thrifted or vintage handbags, um, leather coats. And I try to buy mindfully, meaning I don't or even though they might be vintage, I don't purchase a lot of leather products. I try to buy things that are well-made and will last me a long period of time. Um, I've maybe, I have a few bags that I just rewear and same with shoes and boots because I think that it's, in my opinion, which might be again controversial, I would rather purchase a product that is made, um, made well, made to last and made with less toxins and chemicals so that I can just feel a little bit better about it when I do dispose of it instead of something that can last for like 4,000 years of statistics on some of those vegan leathers. So I personally don't use it. I think that the next wave of sustainability, <laughs> like green, eco-friendly is, um, you know, fruit leathers, which are amazing. Um, there's mushroom, there's apple, there's grape leather. And I think the more that these smaller brands or these companies that produce these leathers make those connections with the bigger brands and we have those options available, wow, then vegan leather will be amazing and great. And I would love to support it. Like, I think that there's one grape leather brand that is connecting with like H&M. So, I mean, that's major because they're a global brand that has stores everywhere. So just pushing that out to the everyday consumer would be great. But personally, I don't, I try to not to use plastic when there are 
more biodegradable alternatives or better alternatives. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, you know, you said a couple interesting things there that I want to pull from, from, that I want to pull from. So one thing you said that I I think I found really interesting is that I I think this ties into the concept of circular fashion, right? So you brought up vintage, Mm. which has been increasingly more popular, especially now. Also, you know, buying products that last. I think it's really important. So, so here's here's my perspective on sustainability. I I don't think it's just it's physically impossible right now to make anything sustainable. It's just going to take a lot of change mm-hmm. infrastructurally uh, on so many levels. You know, there's there's factories, there's sourcing materials, there's you know material product. There's just in the whole supply chain of creating a product or a bag or a garment, whatever. Like. It, you need a, a wholesale change, basically, and that's going to take a lot of time. What I think people can do now is be conscious about the types of products that they buy. So one thing you said, uh, and listen, I'm not against vegan leather. Like there are, you're right, there are, um, you know, I was just researching a cactus leather out of Mexico, which was super expensive. And like, that means I'd have to sell a bag for like $1,500, which is crazy. But you know, there are those developments, which I'm really excited about. I think in the interim, people should be thinking like, what can I buy now that's going to last me the longest where, you know, I don't have to throw it out where it's, you know, because just throwing it out is an impact on the environment. Like a lot of those garments sit in landfills for a really long time. And, you know, that's kind of interesting what you said about vegan. It's like, statistically, they don't last as long as a real leather bag. And then when you discard of it, it takes longer to break down. Or if you actually bought a, a leather bag that was like vegetable tan, which is what we make at Monty and Co. And I'm not trying to make this a pitch piece. I'm just trying to like give people perspective is that doesn't use chemicals in the process. So a, it's, it's a lot more eco-friendly uh, during production and, and the creation process of it, but it's also made to last. It's super durable. So you, you know, you might only buy one Monty and Co. bag ever in your entire life and you might use it. You might even pass it down like that. They're built. That's how well our products are built. The point is like, if you can, you know, if consumers can wrap their head around maybe spending a little bit more money um, on mm-hmm. products that are going to last that long, um, just that alone will make such an impact on, um, you know, not throwing out so much product. Because a lot of people, what they do is they go to H&M, they buy a T-shirt. Oh, it's a cool rock and roll T-shirt, but now it's not in style anymore. So I'm going to toss it. All right. Go ahead. You're going to say something. Oh, no, I was just going to say that's part of my reason why I buy well now. I mean, I've had so many... No, I was that fast fashion girl that would go out to those stores and just buy everything and they break. A lot of those things don't last. I don't have them anymore. And I love it now where I do kind of slow down and purchase something that is made well. And I look for the little detailings in the material because I have handbags now that are like 10 years old. And I just like that I have something reliable. I can bring this out. Okay, this backpack is made really well. I can just bring it out and throw stuff in there or you know, a great coat. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's interesting. It's great to see that like customers are, you know, and, and the marketplaces is thinking like you and I, uh, because we need it. But do you think that, you know, like I was, t- I think I was telling you off camera and I hope it was before we hit record or else I'm going to re- be repeating that, <laughs> which is going to be awful. But, you know, I was telling you about a customer of mine yesterday that came in and, and wrote me a personalized email and said, Hey, I just want you to know that I bought your product because you're made in Canada, you know, I want to support the local economy. I want to support, you know, a local company. And, you know, it really got me thinking like, wow, like COVID has really accelerated uh, how much people want to support local now. Like, do you think, 
do you think it's short term? Like, do you think it's people are only doing it because, you know, we're in a, a kind of in a recession or a depression? I don't know what we even call it at this point. But um, do, you, do you think it's short term in the sense where people are just uh, trying to help local businesses come out of, you know, the pandemic alive? Or do you think this is actually going to be a long term fundamental like consumer behavioral change? I think it's going to be long term because I kind of feel that it was already there before, but I think that COVID just accelerated it. I've noticed that a lot of people, a lot of my friends, just you know, if I started my small community, you know, they were they would we would be excited when we purchase something that's local and new. You want to share it with your friends, and we've always noticed that a lot of well, we've noticed a lot of the times that the quality is just better from some of these smaller brands where items are handmade, where they spend a little bit more on quality materials and those extra details to make sure that something is a little bit more durable. And I think that when you put that in, you know, just higher quality pride in your community, I think that those two things will make it, you know, it's a recipe for people, recipe for longevity because after you go for that, like, how can you go back to just purchasing like, you know, a $5 item that you'll have for a short period of time and you throw it out. But no, I think that, but it's also hard to say, because I think that, you know, you and I, and probably the people who, you know, read the wellness feed or, you know, or support your brand and purchase your handbags, they are people who are aware and attuned towards living sustainably and, or, you know, eco-friendly um, and maybe you're just like slowing down and want better products. So, you know, I, I hope so. I really do think that it is that, you know, it's a recipe for longevity. Sorry, that's a very long-winded answer. No, no, that's, I think that's a fair answer. Um, I hope so too. I, I really do. And, you know, not, not in a selfish way for my business, because at the end of the day, you know, I'm a believer that there's a really big pie and that everyone can have a piece of it. And, uh, you know, it, not every, we don't all need to be super ultra rich and, and have these massive brands, I think, you know, um, there's enough to go around, but I, I, you know, for the sake of our world, which really scares me, the state of, of where our planet is and where it's going to be in a hundred years. And I might not be able to see what it's going to be like in a hundred years, but it actually scares me to think about where it's going to be in a hundred years. So I hope for, you know, in that context, people can start being a little bit more conscious and start making an impact. So on that note, we were talking about, based on all the research that you've done, how just individually as humans, and I know for people listening to this podcast, this is probably outside of the context of, you know, we usually talk about business and fashion, which I think we've done enough, okay. of, but I, I think we can bring this to a personal level for people, right? Like, let's let's try to iron out some some really, really easy things that we can do every day as, as humans to kind of, I guess be uh, and sustainable is so hard to say now because I've just like said that it's not possible. Um, but to be more, <laughs> to be more, you know, eco-conscious and eco-friendly and, and thoughtful and, uh, you know, and, and to like, what can we do to reduce our, our footprint? Ooh. Um, easy ways. I think, oh, okay. I felt like I had this all planned in my head and now I have to restart again. Um, I say, you know, look at plastic consumption. I think one of the easiest ways that we can just be sustainable is to say no to plastic. Um, and certain ways people can do that is don't buy plastic water bottles. <laughs> like when you go out, seriously, just don't buy plastic water bottles. I think they I have statistics. We 
I think they generate like maybe one million plastic bottles every second throughout the world. Which um, is crazy. Yes. And, <laughs> and they can take up to like a thousand years to decompose depending on the type of plastic. But, you know, that is a supply and demand. If people just stop buying plastic water bottles, we won't have as many that are just floating in our ocean or just sitting in landfills. And that, you know, invest in a refillable water bottle. Bring it with you. I know that in Philadelphia, there are like charging stations throughout in certain places where you can refill your water bottle. Um, I have a collapsible one, so it doesn't take up too much room once it's empty. I mean, something like that is a big way to reduce your carbon footprint because, you know, plastic uh, takes oil to be made. Another way that I say, you know, going on that whole plastic train is don't take plastic bags. Like when you go to the grocery store, CVS is my local pharmacy. And I found out that if you go up to the register and ask for a paper bag, they will give it to you. But they're not going to advertise it. They're not just going to give it outright. You have to ask for it. But that's one way to reduce, you know, getting another plastic bag. And, you know, with that being said, when you throw out your trash, don't put it in a plastic bag. A lot of people, and this is how I grew up, we get those plastic bags that you get from the grocery store. My parents would buy them. And then you put all of your food waste in there, which is biodegradable, in something that is not biodegradable. And, you know, it wasn't until... Recently that I realized that's insane. We're taking something that can naturally degrade and benefit our soil and just dumping it into something that is going to um, discrete methane gases because it's not decomposing properly by keeping it in this plastic bag. So I like to use paper bags if I can, or there are bags that are actually compostable, which you can buy for your, um, your grocery bins. So there are three ways to limit plastic, to minimize oil production, to minimize landfill waste, to allow items to decompose properly. And I think there, those are three really easy, really simple ways. And, you know, going back to what I said is, you know, you know, investing in a water bottle. I love the idea of just bringing items with you. So when I, you know, if you order takeout, ask them not to give you the plastic spoons and forks, especially if it's going to your house. That's another thing, like a really small, simple thing that I thought, wow, why am I getting all of this plastic when I can just use my forks and knives and spoons at home? You know, when you go out to store, I've grabbed one of those little shopping totes so that if I want to buy something, I can just tell them, you know, I don't need a plastic bag if I'm going to get a pair of sneakers or a dress or, you know, something that I need or anything. Just bring your own bag and tote with you so that you can just say no to plastic. I think that's my biggest tip because we have so much plastic consumption in the U.S. probably throughout the world. And that is, and it has a detrimental impact on our water supply, the soil that we have. I can go all day. So I'm going to stop myself right there. And I think one of the biggest ways, yeah, limit plastic, say no, use reusable items. They're kind of, yeah. That would be my biggest tips that you can just do today. Yeah, that's great. That, uh, I, I love that. I mean, those are all so practical and things we often overlook. It's it's funny mm-hmm. that you brought up the, the paper bag the other day. Um, my wife and I were at the grocery store and for the first time, they actually, they gave us a paper bag and uh, I kind of felt like I was in like the seventies, but uh, I was also like <laughs> really happy that we weren't bringing plastic home because we do the same thing, you know, or, or we did the same thing. We were brought up the same way. 
grocery store bag garbage. Uh, and now looking back, it just like seems so counterintuitive, but, uh, you know, what do we know back then? Not, not much apparently, but <laughs> in, uh, I guess, I, I guess one question I'll, I'll ask before, uh, I let you go is, you know, you spend a lot of time researching, I'm not going to say sustainable, but eco-conscious brands. Why don't you leave us off with like your top three favorite right now? Uh, doesn't matter. could be men's, women's, any category. Uh, just really curious to see, um, who is kind of come to life. My top three favorite brands, um, would definitely have to be Nisolo. Um, I love the idea that they have livable wages and that they work with a team of um, social workers in their factories in Peru and Mexico to ensure that they're paying wages that are livable and not just what the you know, statewide or countrywide standard is, but that their factory workers can really actually live and thrive. So I love their initiatives for that. Another brand that I've recently interviewed has been Wolven. I think that they are really good in just being transparent and kind of educating the consumer on being that journey with them so that they can see where their clothes are being made. They help them understand what recycled plastic means um, and how to, you know, minimize plastic in their own lives because they make leggings that are made from recycled plastic bottles sourced from the ocean. So, I mean, I love the idea that any brand that's cleaning up our oceans is great. The last brand that I would say, <laughs> that's kind of tough. There's so many, there's so many good ones. Another, this is actually a food brand and I use them every week, um, Imperfect Foods. I really like them because what they do, you know, going with the term Imperfect Foods, they take food items from the grocery stores that would otherwise be thrown out because they're imperfect looking and, you know, you can shop them online and have them delivered to your home. So I like that because I feel that I'm contributing to minimizing food waste. They don't use a lot of plastic, which I do appreciate. They're, every now and then I might get something that's like, I got bread and it was in plastic. So. But for the most part, they do that. You know, all of the packaging, it's in paper, it's recyclable. The box is recyclable. Um, the little thing that keeps the food cool, if I get the package and I'm not here, that, you know, you can dump that into your trash. It's non-toxic. And then you can recycle the other container. Those little details are things that I like. And so they're my top three favorite brands. Um, I guess you could say one is ethical. One is all about recycling the circular economy. Um, and another one is minifi- minimizing food waste. So I think that covers a nice range too. Yeah, it does. And for, you know, people listening that are like, what's that brand called or what do they do? I'm going to link, I'm going to link all these brands on, uh, on the page for this podcast. So if you go to the, my website, you can, uh, link to them and discover them and learn about them. And, uh, yeah, that's, thanks for sharing that. That's fantastic. And, uh, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. Uh, this is a, a topic that is, is I'm really passionate about. I, you know, like I said earlier, is really rooted in, in the Montinco brand. So uh, I'm glad we got to discuss it and put it out in the world and get people, you know, maybe starting yeah. to think about taking action and and, uh, and being a little bit more um, cognizant and thoughtful about how they, how, how they consume. Yes. So thank you so much for having me. This was actually fun. Yeah, so fun. Um, thanks. Thanks for your time. Stay safe in Philly and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Bye.